Thank you, Pastor. It's good to be back home. Um, all right. I want you to go to Ecclesiastes to start off with. We should be posting some scriptures up on the wall there behind me. And uh, we're going to follow along those as closely as we can. We're going to watch our time. Um, what we will be speaking of through the month of February is releasing the inheritance. Pastor preached January the 8th, and he ran down the uh, things such as our, our purpose. And, and he reiterated that our purpose is Christ Church exists to lead people to a life within the fullness of Christ. And that's our purpose. But then in the process of that, then they started in in these last several weeks, and they've talked about the core values and began to lay out core values. And I, I just got excited about it. In fact, January the 8th, right after that message, and I, he and I talked, we still had our coffee. Most every week we had our coffee. If we didn't have it on the same day, we had another day, but we still did. And uh, in doing so, while we were talking, the Lord began to talk to me because one of the things that he was talking about is how that God gives the inheritance, how that he does that. And, and it popped in my heart and in my spirit about releasing the inheritance because as the Lord began to speak to me, he talked to me about the, the, the dad of the prodigal and his other son out of Luke. And we'll go there, in fact. Uh, in fact, a foundational scripture that you might as well write it down now is Luke 15, verse 11 through 32. Now, I won't touch on that very much tonight, but it will be in the core of what we're going to talk about. So I want you to be sure and hang on to that. Luke 15 verse 11 through 32, and it's the story about the prodigal son. And, of course, preachers all over the world have exhausted, or what we think, exhausted that story. But what we have found over the years, and I've got a lot of years' experience, is the nuances of the Scripture. Holy Spirit can absolutely just explode something. And it's not really new, but it is a more in-depth. When, when Charlie and I talk and he goes and gives me some of these Hebrew words and the fullness of the definition of them, it does the same thing. I've got a good friend out of New York, uh, Bill Wilson, and Bill was telling me one time, he got a chance to go to a library in England and go down, he said, way down in the archive books that are biblical books. And he began to read and he would tell me about the things that happened and how those words that are in our Bible they, they say one thing, but when you go looking deeper and how he saw was the depth of it, such as, you know, there's a place, I think it's in Kings, where the mighty men, some of them came to David, they were left-handed. And that's all the Bible says is they were all left-handed. And Bill said what he found out was, is when he read it in that context, they were left-handed because they were no longer right-handed because they had been in the military. And they had to retrain themselves, and it's a point, they had to retrain themselves to use their left hands because their right hands had either been cut off or damaged. And so they had to make adjustments. They had to make change. One of these days I'll preach a message called Adjusting to the Unfamiliar, and that's kind of a funny story. But let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18. 
Here is what I have seen, Solomon said. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him. Then look at this. For it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. This is the gift of God. For he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life because God, look at what he's saying, God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. God keeps us busy if we'll listen to him, if we'll operate correctly. He keeps us busy with the joy of our heart, his joy, righteousness, peace, and joy. So if we talk about releasing an inheritance, we have to start foundationally with we need to build a heritage. Building a heritage is what we are doing now. Our core values that most all of you should have by now, our core values lay out, in fact, line upon line, how this church, Christ Church, is going to endeavor over the years ahead and has done so in the past to build a proper heritage for those who are here and those who will be coming. And Charlie and I had a discussion one day briefly. I didn't have a chance to, to talk long and uh, wanted to call back. But I, I believe there's a difference between a heritage and an inheritance. Now, dictionaries say they're synonyms. That's fine. You can argue with me or you don't have to. I'm not going to argue with anybody about it. But I believe that heritage has to do with the principles of life as we live them now and what we do in developing them. So as we build them, then we will have an inheritance to release to the next generations. For instance, I grew up Pentecost, classic Pentecostal pastor did as well, and some of you as well. Others of you grew up in other classical Christian denominations and some uh, Catholics. And you grew up in that. And if you look at it properly, what were we told in the processes of growing up in these things? We were told this is our heritage. This is our heritage. In essence, heritage said this is who we are. This is who we are. This is what we do. I had friends in the Catholic church, and I'd go to church with them as a teenager sometime because I could go to early mass and then slip out of there and go to my church so I didn't get in trouble at home. And, and, and I, I learned some of the things that were the heritage there. And it, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And, and I'll, I can tell you this honestly, and it's not an offense against my Catholic friends. Um, they exercise more than we do. They talk about us in our dancing, but if you go to a Catholic mass, you're up, down, down, up, kneel, sit, kneel, down, up, stand, and you're doing it all, all the whole time. And they wore me out, and I'm a kid. And then I'd go to the Pentecostal church, and one of the ladies would give out a holy shout, and she'd start dancing, and then they'd go to clicking around, and, and we'd have a great time, and it was my heritage. 
And I saw some phenomenal things in the world of God that is around me. And I said, world of God. Because if you can't see God in the world of God, then you're missing a great part of our heritage. So here Solomon says, this is what God thinks about this stuff. He has made it possible and given us the gift of heritage from his doing. It is marvelous in our eyes if we'll look at it properly. Now, what we have to do, though, is begin to open our hearts, open our eyes, and begin to see wisely what it is we're saying. So that our core value of we keep Jesus at the center. That's the greatest heritage we can give to our children. Our children, Sherry and mine, they grew up with Jesus at the center of life. When we first married, I was an idiot. And we had Heather and I got over it. And I got over it because she prayed and laid down the law. Seriously. Because she was not going to have her daughter raised in a heritage that she was raised in of an abusive alcoholic family. So she had determined before when she was five years old, she said, God was going to be different in her life. And so we began to look closely at where we were and how we were doing. And we made adjustments early on because we understood if we're going to have a proper life for our children, it's going to require a lot more out of us. In our very early 20s, I couldn't be a kid anymore. You understand? So the day I came home with a Fastback 68 Mustang that, that was, in fact, a Mustang Boss, only it didn't have the decals on it, but it ran just as fast, we were in trouble again. Because a Fastback Mustang wasn't a kid car. You couldn't put a car seat in the back seat of that Mustang. And it was really sad when I had to let it go, but the guy that bought it was thrilled. But the heritage that we were building, Jesus wasn't at the center of the Mustang. And there's nothing wrong with having Mustangs. Not at all. But it wasn't for us because it wasn't in what God had in mind for what he wanted us to do. So I had to make the adjustments. And don't misunderstand, she made plenty of adjustments just living with me. So we kept Jesus at the center to build the heritage that he had. And the reason we could do that is because we early on began to see it is God who gives us these things. It's God who's directing our steps. It is God who's guiding our lives. It is him and it is his practices and his faithfulness and his glory that we're going to walk in now, at that time, we were still in the particular denomination that we grew up in. And we stayed there for 11 years before we changed out of that. So in Ecclesiastes, he said, this is the gift of God. Understand that the heritage we have here is from God and is the gift of God. 
Therefore, we can look at the gifts that he gives the church, such as apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. We can look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he has given to our church. And we can focus on Jesus at the center of all of these and realize that this is our heritage now. So we come to this point that we are spirit-led. Now, he didn't ask me, they didn't ask me to teach the core values. I'm talking about building our heritage. But you can't build a proper heritage without core values. You have to build line upon line, precept upon precept. Now, being a building contractor for years, I understood lines and getting out of them. I understood that you stay within the boundaries for the purposes of if you don't, it's going to be a bad thing when you get a little further down the road and that last board doesn't fit right. Because you start out with the right principles, with the right foundations, with the right basis, and things will come into line. Okay? And I can tell you it's honestly the truth. Okay, Psalms 119. We've got a tremendous scripture in Psalms. Well, we've got tremendous scriptures everywhere. Psalms 119, 111, and 112. The psalmist is writing and he said, your testimonies, now he's talking to God. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever. Now, my marginal translation of that word is inheritance, and in another place, it's portion. So your testimony, I have taken as a portion in my life forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. David is saying, I've set myself up for an heritage. Now, these are going to be important when you look at these because what we will find out is the two authors of what I just read fail miserably in the process of releasing a proper inheritance. They released it, but they failed miserably so that the next generation was not able to build on that. But in fact, they both generations collapsed. So we're going to see that as we go along. We got two more weeks to deal with this. So he says, your testimony is God. So what is he talking about? God's testimony. What has God said about you? What has God said about us? What does he say about Christ Church of the Heartland? Christ Church. What does he say about Larry or, or Tom or anybody else in here? What does God say? Not what does the world say because they've all got opinions. And we just don't need to know about everybody's opinion. But I do need to know what God said because God testifies of us. God testifies of us. Can you imagine it? Think about it right now. In heaven, when the accuser starts to say something, God testifies of us. God testified about Job. Hey, paraphrasing on my vernacular, hey, knucklehead, you the one that got kicked out. Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth. 
God's testimony. So what does Job do when he gets through all of the stuff? He builds on the heritage of the testimony of God because this is who God says I am. Now listen, our children and our children's children need to know we're building a sure foundation so they will know this is what God says about you. This is what God says, and it's why we're here, so that you will know what God has said about you through us and through the people around us in our heritage that we are building. We are spirit-led people, and we are better together. We're a little crazier sometimes when we're together, but we're better for it. We increase, we develop. Once in a while, we even might say something profound, and then the rest of us scratch our head. Did he just say that? Where'd that come? Well, it ain't him, we know that, that must have been God. But he said, God, your testimony, I take it forever as my heritage, my portion of what you have for me. So then we go to Isaiah 54, 17. Most of you all know that verse. It's, it's very well known. But I want you to see something else in Isaiah 54. And that's actually verse 16. Because what Isaiah is prophesying, God is saying, behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work. My, again, my translation says a weapon. God said, I created the dude that's building the weapons. Don't you think about it. I created them. Then he goes on and he says, and I have created the spoiler or the destroyer to destroy. God said, I did this. So he follows it with this definitive statement that you and I must understand that it goes along with our core value of we're better together and we believe without limits. No weapon formed against you will prosper. I created the ones who made the weapons, but not one weapon they make they have made by my hand and my guidance to use on you. Go back to David in Psalms. Your testimonies are my heritage. I can go to Isaiah and what Isaiah said several hundred years later, and I can read Isaiah that says, no weapon formed against me will prosper, and every voice raised against me in judgment, I, 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 am to condemn. I'm not to, I don't have to call a bunch of people and say, I need you to condemn this void. You don't have to do that, even though it's better together, and you can do that if you're in a situation where you can't get a hold of somebody. You can still operate in it. You can still walk in it. You can still live in it fully. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Now I want you to write these things down by 
By Ecclesiastes, this is the gift of God. By Psalms 119, our heritage is established on God's word. Our heritage is established on God's word. And on Isaiah 54, 17, it is activated in our lives. God's word must be active in our daily living or it's wasted. It must be active in us on a daily basis. I had a, uh, Sherry and I had a, a dinner with a couple that today, and it was an interesting time because as we were talking, we, we talk often about glory, and we hear people talking about glory, and we've got these that they, they, they will advertise, come to our glory meeting, and they've got all these, we're going to have glory, and your faces are going to glow, and gold dust is going to be on the floor and on your arms, and diamonds will show up, and we're going to have the glory. I walked out on one of those guys one time. Because I figured I could go to the pancake house and get pancakes and get more nourishment than I was getting out of his attesting that we're going to have this. And it proved to be true because once I got to the pancake house, I had two or three others that came inside and said, I wish you'd have said you was leaving. But why? Because let's boil it down in our heritage. I just read to you what God says. That's the glory of God. God's confession, God's testimony, God's description is what is glorious. When Isaiah said the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord isn't because you and I are going to walk around like shining great lights, but because we're going to walk around living in the light, living in the principles of God, manifesting a joyful spirit. That's why it's so important to smile at the waitresses, to smile in, at the clerks at the stores, to smile at people. I was standing on a street corner one day and I was, I was, oh man, I don't even know what I was thinking. Didn't matter. And a woman come up to me and she said, well, can't you smile? And I didn't even realize that I must have really looked stern. And I said, well, yeah. And I apologized. I told that story and another young man that's, that's a friend of ours, he said, I just told her, yeah, I am smiling. You just can't see it. But we have to understand how we're building our lives, how we're showing ourselves. And your kids, if I want to know how your family's doing, I'm not going to ask you. You're going to lie to me. But if I sat around and listened to your kids for a little while, I can find out a lot. One of our Sunday school teachers at a church in Tennessee, she made a mistake. She asked the preschoolers to tell about their dads. Now, you have to understand, we were, our church was called the first door on Party Alley. We were in the roughest neighborhood, one of the roughest neighborhoods in the city. We had a bullet hole through the nursery window from the night before. We cleaned up beer bottles every Sunday morning before church started. And so she's asking these kids to tell about their dad. So right off the bat, one kid, my daddy is a dirty dog. 
Mama said he ain't worth shooting. He's just a dirty dog. Another one said, well, hey, I don't even know where he's at. Mama said she hopes he never comes back. And another one went on to say something else. And another one. And she, she figured out after the fourth one, I better change the subject. And the sad part is, is it was true. Because the majority of people in the neighborhood we ministered to were single parent homes. And most of the time, it was the grandmothers that were raising the kids. And so the kids had a very low esteem. So what we saw was when we built a heritage in that neighborhood, it changed the atmosphere of the neighborhood, which changed the atmosphere of the children. And so we started getting testimonies of the kids standing in the streets singing church songs and worshiping and teaching all the other kids how to do that. Why? Because the glory of God is how we live in this life. Not this stuff religion's trying to put on us now. It's what God does by us building a heritage that is strong and vibrant and life-giving. <clears throat> so we start off with, it's the gift of God. It's established on God's word and it is activated in our lives. In Joshua chapter 4, Joshua lays out the story of what, well, he lays out what God told him. Because God said, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. When you start to cross the Jordan and the priest steps in there, I want you to have 12 men. I want those 12 men to go in first, pick up. Each one, 12 men, pick up a stone that they have to carry on their shoulder. He's not wanting pebbles. He's wanting huge rocks, that they're, and he sent big men to do it. Have them pick up a stone and have them carry it to the other side. And when they have crossed over, have them leave them there, and I'll show you what to do with it when everybody's crossed over. So Joshua lays it out, tells these men, do this. This is what's going to happen. So he says, and Joshua said, cross over before, I'm verse 5 in chapter 4 of Joshua. Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan. Each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come saying, what do these stones mean? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel. Hand me that bottle of water. Now, a young man out of California that uh, some of you might know, but I think probably one of the most Phenomenal young ministers in the country. Named Samuel Rodriguez. Samuel wrote a book. It's been a year or two ago now. And Samuel's book is You're Next. But in that book he made a statement. And, and I mean it was just thrilling to me. Because I'd already gone through most of these scriptures. 
So he's talking about building a memorial, building a heritage, building something that can, we can use and our children can identify with. So here's what he did. When God takes you across, build something. When God gives you a victory, build something. When God gets you to the other side, whatever it is, build something. In essence, build a memorial that can be seen by your children and your children's children. So when they ask you, what does this mean? You can tell them, look what the Lord has done. Back here, we call it the G Center, the Generational Center. It was built for the purpose of building a memorial unto God that our children can go to and look at. And it's not just they're, they're in the back. They are in one of the finest quality buildings. They're set up and it's getting even better. And we're building a future. And every time we get another victory with our children, we build something else to show, this, look what the Lord is doing in this house. When we move into this place, we've got all of these things that are going on and there's changes that are happening. But listen, every change is important because it gets us to the place where we understand we are living in a time where we believe in a God without limits who can do all things and has given us the ability to do all things and has walked in us with a purpose to turn us into what he wants us. And every gift of God is coming in life-giving flow and he has established it in our heart and he has built it on the principles of we must honor one another. I like what they said. We honor up, we honor down, we honor all around. See, because if, if people who are in leadership fail to give honor to everybody else, then you've got some narcissistic fools. Well, you ain't supposed to call anybody a fool. Yeah, I can, because I understand the difference between foolishness and a fool. And there must be honor, and the only way you can build proper heritage is honor. And we have that. If you don't have honor in the home, you're not building a heritage in the home. And if you're not building an honorable heritage in the home, you're not going to have it in the church. But we're going to have, we have, we already have a system of honor. We have a wonderful pastor and his wife, and he honestly honors. He honors me in tremendous ways. He doesn't have to. He's chosen to. And I honor him. You don't even have to th think about it and which one's up and which one's down. doesn't matter. We're more in the all around. <laughs> and that shrimp and grouper and mahi-mahi and that I brought home with me evidenced by being visible in this life. See, the blessing of the Lord makes fat. Hey, I got to remember that. You told me I was having to go on a diet. I just remember that's a scripture. I'll find it for you too. <laughs> 
But they bring those stones and he built an, he built a memorial that says, when your kids ask, we've got a heritage. We teach our children the heritage. My kids would ask us when they were growing up, they're grown ladies now, Heather's that old and Haley's that old. And that's all I'm gonna say, cause if they watch this, then I don't have to be in trouble with them. And I honor them, but we honored them as children. We did. We disciplined them. Because if you don't discipline, you don't honor. If you don't receive discipline, you don't honor. If we don't walk in this thing and we're not honoring one another and around and we honor our pastor and his family, his wife, it, we, we honor and we show honor. And let me tell you something about here. Christ Church, you are excellent at honoring our pastor and his wife. Excellent at it. And we, and we can only get better. Really, we can only get better. And isn't that an awesome thing to think about? Because after all, it's a gift of God. God gave to the church. Right? God gave. It's a gift of God. It's our heritage. He's tremendous. So one of the points we have to understand and we have to know deeply inside of us, God is the conqueror. Now, we're made more than conquerors, but we're only that because of him. God, if he doesn't conquer it, we're in trouble. God is the conqueror. That makes us the possessors. Because what God conquers, he did so to give us the heritage of possessing everything he has conquered. How many of you know he conquered death, hell, and the grave? So we are possessors of the victory that gives us the right of heritage to have eternal life, and we know it now. So we don't have to fear death. We already know we're going to live forever. Everybody is somewhere. It's just that we got a better idea where it's going to be and how it's going to be because it's our heritage. And because of the honoring God, then honoring one another, he increases it and strengthens us in it and builds us together in it. Uh, another good book, if you like to get books that are beneficial, is uh, John Bevere's, um, it just left me, about honor. Honor's, honor's reward. Honor's reward. Terrific book. And if you'll get a hold of it, you'll enjoy it. You won't like it at first. Huh? The culture, well, that's a newer one. His first book was Honor's Reward. And then he wrote A Culture of Honor later, recently, actually. And he and Lisa. And it's, it's, it's built on the same premise because he talks about when he started out in ministry as a youth pastor for Benny Hinn. He got sideways with Pastor Benny when he had an idea. Benny said, it's not for us. And he got mad. And he ever get mad when it's not for us. And yet God worked it out and God fixed it all up and God did it because it's the gift of God. And God doesn't mess around with stupidity. Which is why here we pursue excellence. 
Mediocrity is an enemy of faith. Whenever Joshua told those guys to get the stones, he, I'm certain, it's not written, but I'm certain, and he made it clear, they got to be big rocks. You come across here with a slingshot stone and you're going to be in trouble. You can't be mediocre about what God says to do. If God directs us, we're going to do it and we're going to do it with excellence because we cannot afford. Well, that's good when it could be great. Or that's okay. I, when we go to a restaurant and I'll ask somebody who's with us, well, how's your food? Yeah, it's all right. I said, no, that's not good enough. You're going to pay 20 bucks for a plate of food. You better get something that's a little better than, well, it's all right. You know what it'd be like if Sherry said, how do you like that? Eh, it's all right. Yeah, she'd break my plate. Isn't it true? Some of you guys? Or if you're the cook, guys, which I'm not, thank God he spared me that. But anyway... And you're the cook, and you cook it, and you lay it out there. Well, what do you think? Uh, it's okay. Well, you just sunk that ship. Because we pursue excellence. And to pursue excellence means we honor one another, but we're also honoring you by saying, you might be coming up a little short in this thing that you're doing. I had a guy tell me one time I had to, had to rebuild a, uh, a, a wall, brick wall for a bank that somebody had run into it and knocked it down. They covered up their air conditioning stuff and all. It hit it. And I had to get it rebuilt. And one of my employees, uh, I said, to, he said, well, I can do that. I said, you, you lay bricks? He said, well, I can have. I can do that. And I was skeptical, and I should have listened to the Holy Spirit. But he was bragging, and I was in a bind, and I said, you're sure you can do that? Oh, yeah, because, I mean, you got three-fourths of the wall still standing. All I got to do is follow what they did. And that's true. My child probably could have done better. So I get, I finish my day in another place. I come up there, and here's this mess. And he's got rocks. And you, some of you won't know what I'm talking about, but some of you will. He's got rocks in the mortar. The bricks are going like this, and the holes, there's some of them big, there's some of them little. There's a, it's a disaster. And it's, I can't do anything about it. It's already after dark. I can't go get the, the materials that I need to tear it down and do it again myself. And so the next morning, I try to beat the banker there. I didn't do it. It wasn't pretty. He wasn't happy. And I didn't blame him. I wasn't happy either. And we had to tear it all down and start over and do it right. He said, well, it was all right. I said, that's why $275 and something cents is coming out of your check this week because you think it was all right. Excellence means it's actually excellent. It looks like it's supposed to look. It operates like it's supposed to operate. This house looks like it does because we're striving for, looking for, and pursuing excellence. 
because if we pursue excellence, we establish a heritage of excellence that our children and our children's children are going to not only get to enjoy, but it will build in them the same pursuits to say, I can do that. Because we build it in them to understand this is attainable. I don't care what it is. A God without limits has an attainability beyond what you can ask or think. If you have guts enough to look at it, and you ain't supposed to say guts, but I did, so forget it. Anyway, you look at it properly and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because he is a generous God. And I'm going to be generous right along with him. Why? Because if I understand excellence, excellence is filled with generosity. Filled with generosity. God told Israel when he brought them out, I'm going to teach you to get wealth. I'm going to show you how to prosper. I'm going to be a generous father a generous God. I'm going to guide you into a land that flows with abundance that you don't even have to worry about it. When you get there, you will subdue it. You will prosper it. Uh, what's the word? You will um, make it grow. What did he tell? Um, what did he tell Adam in the garden? Huh? Fruitful, multiply, replenish. You will reap, thank you. That's the environmental term that I was looking for so the EPA won't be mad at me. You will replenish what I have put there for you and you'll replenish it with excellence because he's a generous God. Now the problem with Israel is they messed up, I mean, 40 years in the wilderness. Those people messed up big over and over and over. I mean, they couldn't get over messing up. But God still had a plan. He still had a purpose. He was still going to carry it out. And their children got to go in and possess. And their grandchildren got to go in and possess. And their grandchildren had to learn. And they saw the heritage of the old folks and how they messed up. And they moved into the new land following Joshua. And for a while, they did really well. That's why David wrote 107th Psalm. And they'd go do this and they'd do real good. And then they failed and they fell and they messed up. And then they would cry unto the Lord. He would deliver them out of their distresses. He would heal them of all of their diseases. He would take care of them. And with loving kindness, he guided them. And then they would prosper and they would be okay. And then they would go down and they would blame. They would say, look at what we've done. Look at how we've done it. We've gained so much. We're so great. We're so good. And we've got Molech now. And we've got Asherah over here. And we, we're just doing wonderful. And then everything fell apart. Because they failed to understand it's a gift of God. And it is to be stewarded and operated on, and honored, and pursued with excellence, and we're to be generous with it. This is who we are. The heritage that we are building 
is tremendous. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, and I'll close with this. Done real well. We got 10 more minutes. So I'll, I'll throw in a bunch of Pentecostal terms that make you shout. Take another 30 minutes. Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, when, Moses, when the Most High, this is the song of Moses, by the way, that God gave to him to tell the children of Israel before he left them. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, that's the children of Israel. When he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel according to the number of the children of Israel. Think about that. He set borders. God's not upset with borders. They're functional things to help us live properly. You got that? For the Lord's portion, the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. The Lord's portion is his people. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance even for his children's children. God is a good God. And he looks upon us as his portion. He has built his church for his heritage. He built his people for his heritage. Have you ever thought about this? When God created everything and he set out to make Adam and in Adam he put all the genetic parts that would ever make up of all humanity and he established us in, in such an intricate manner with such tremendous detail. And we as people, people, God's heritage. Why? Because God wanted fellowship out of somebody that could deny him. But wouldn't because they loved him. God said, let's make man in our image. And the Bible says, and he walked with Adam in the cool of the day. Which is the best time to go walking, by the way. So he walked with him. He fellowshiped with him. The vision I had one time of him and Adam naming the animals was absolutely phenomenal. And they were having fun. I mean, hilarious. You might not look at God in that manner. I didn't see God in... And, and, you know, as a man, but you could see enough in it that you could see him rear back and laugh when Adam would point at something and name it, probably the platypus. But it, he would do that. And they fellowshiped, and he walked with him, and he talked with him. He was his own. 
And out of him, even though he failed and brought such a problem, he still loved man so that he brought Noah and his sons out of the deal and built a whole new world out of them because he still wanted fellowship. And man continued to mess up. So what did he do? He sent his own son. You ought to read Isaiah 5 sometime. He's, because he said, you know, he sent his prophet and he killed him. He sent another one and he killed him. He sent another one and they killed him. And he says, what more can I do? So he sent his son. And that settled it. That put an end to the struggle. From then on, God's fellowship was life-giving. So we put Jesus, the son, at the center. We operate by the spirit that he sent to fellowship with us, to lead us, to guide us. We operate with him because we understand we're better together. I can't do this on my own. And then in doing that, we run into this great thing about no limits to our God. He was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Pastor admitted the other day that he believed for a certain amount of money and God's pretty much already doubled it. So he just slipped up and didn't remember that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above. But he didn't do anything wrong because believing for that was a tremendous thing. It's just God wanted to show off. And you know how he showed off? He used you. Literally. God showed his glory in this house by using you that he claims is his heritage. You and me. His heritage. And so in doing so, he has built an heritage that now from the next two weeks we're going to talk about. From that heritage, what do we do with the inheritance? And we're going to pursue building a heritage and developing an inheritance with excellence. With excellence. And I'll tell you what, we're going to be so generous my kids, they already think dad's pretty generous and I can only do what I can afford to do. But over the years, that's been pretty neat because God's always blessed us. If I were not generous with her, they wouldn't know generosity. People, you know, they, they look at me sometimes. I love to take Sherry shopping for clothes. I have fun doing it. She wants to take me shopping for clothes, and I hate it. I tell her, just give me something. Well, don't you want, no, just give me something. But she's generous, so she gets me something. Why? Our, we're, a, we're a product of our God. We're his heritage. We're supposed to be like that. And he has developed us for that purpose. Father, I thank you. I hope that you've spoken to the hearts of the people through what I've said. And I trust, Lord, that here at Christ Church, we are going to develop the heritage beyond what we ever thought possible and rejoice with great and exceedingly 
great joy. In Jesus' name.